Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 158. Thank you for joining us. Today, we travel back in time and to Atlanta, Georgia, to join Colby graduates and their families at Colby's commencement ceremonies. Graduates Ellen Foreman and Peter Prudlow, faculty member Dr. Carl Hassler, and University of Dallas President Dr. Jonathan Sanford provide words of wisdom that are not only valuable to our graduates, but all of us. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. And I'm Jordan. As a product of homeschooling, I'm proud to teach Greek and Latin for Colby online and serve as the alumni and public relations director. Good morning. Welcome to the commencement for Colby Academy class of 2023. We welcome our students, parents, faculty, and guests to join this joyful celebration. Graduation marks the end of one phase of education for these students and the beginning of an exciting new one. Alan Foreman, we're so pleased to have you today. The floor is yours. Good morning, everyone. Firstly, I would like to thank everyone who has made my presence here possible, uh, the mentors and friends who have enlightened me, not just with words, but with their actions, and encouraged me to never fall back on my dreams. It is my sincere hope that I will be either able to follow in their footsteps or be able to walk the path of goodness and wisdom along with you. Today, we are gathered to celebrate a transition. I'm not sure if you have all been counting down to the day and minute until this moment, or been absolutely dreading uh, this final goodbye. But whatever you feel, I hope that this reunion is something that you will enjoy remembering. Now, I don't want to dampen the enthusiasm that you might have, but I like everyone, um, especially the seniors, to take a moment to imagine what it would be like if this room were empty. No students, no parents, no faculty members, no graduation speakers, no anything. Only you in the room and a rusty diploma waiting for you on one end of the room. <laughs> That wouldn't be much fun, would it? Because you all deserve to be celebrated. You all deserve to have your accomplishments recognized and to have people wish you well as you begin the next chapter in your life. Uh, this moment is neither a greeting nor an adieu. It is an amalgamation of both the path behind and the path ahead. And I could not be more honored and thrilled to share the fruits and the coming fruits of this transition with you all. So what is Colby? What do we think of when we think of, of our last four years of high school? If we were any other kind of school, I would not be able to speak about events that have united us, teachers that have inspired us, and moments that we have been present for. But the truth is, many of us do share some of the same memories. We've scrolled through feature stories, iconic cartoons, and stunning pictures in the Colby newsletter, reunited with the entire school in prayer through the Spiritual Life Club's weekly prayer meetings, and cheered on our peers at the Advent and Christmas concert. I bet some of you remember how the chat would overflow back when it was held on Adobe Connect. <laughs> We've been through the chaos of mic checks at the beginning of class, the rush of adrenaline when your teacher is suddenly kicked out of class, <laughs> and the feeling of staring at a long list of assignments on the Schoology homepage. Hey, even if you weren't even taking any online classes throughout these last four years, you still know how challenging a Colby curriculum can be. But it was all fun, wasn't it? There might have been many complaints and frustrations along the way, but hopefully the pains and sorrows of navigating high school won't become the moments that are calcified into our minds. To those of you seated in these front three rows, so you're all students, all soon to be graduated alumni of our school, but what's most important 
is that you are all humans. Amazing, stubborn, wise, serious, silly, ambitious, thoughtful, diligent humans. And that's wonderful and magical and fills me with so much joy. Maybe you have regrets about things that were done or were left undone throughout your high school years. Sure, yesterday's work and play will always be overshadowed by today's, but that doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile to pursue. Just take a look back at where we all started, maybe the beginning of elementary school, beginning of middle school, even the beginning of high school, and you'll see what I mean. By the strength of our human spirit and God and the people around us, we came from knowing absolutely nothing to knowing slightly more. <laughs> so I thought I'd leave you with some final words of advice. I know that um, you might think that the things you've learned haven't yet helped you figure out what you want to do next in life. And that's perfectly fine, because I bet none of us have that figured out, including me. We are here to applaud you, all not for the outcome of your journey, but for the work that went on in that journey. Progress is something that our society often refuses to acknowledge. Progress can look bland and unappealing, and quite frankly, most of us would rather not put in the work for progress to occur. Yet, it's progress that makes us beautiful and soulful people, not doing well on a test or winning an award. If you want to get anywhere, progress must be made. So I'd say it might be something a priority to learn how to make the process as enjoyable and fulfilling as possible. Whether it's progress in your spiritual character or progress in academic areas, remember that you're making even the smallest sacrifice in your life for the glory of God. Maybe when you look back on your days at high school, you'll think, how can I ever repay these people for all the kindness they have showed me, especially the teachers and mentors that have guided me through so many challenges? The secret is to look forwards. For every gift that a mentor has given you, give that gift to the next person in line. Give that gift to the next generation. Give that gift to the person who really needs it in that moment. What has been passed down to you, passed down to others. After all, this isn't commerce, it's community. I love words. <laughs> I think words are beautiful, and I thought I'd end with one of the words that has resonated with me the most this past year. Ikigai is a Japanese word that means the reason for being. But it's a word with many colors and dimensions. It's not just a word about who you are. It's about what you love, what you're good at, what is practical for you to do, and what the world needs from you. If there's anything that I believe is relevant for you to consider at this time and place, it's the intersection of these four things. At its essence, Ikigai is about being you, living the most fulfilling version of your life as a child of God. To the class of 23, more love to you than I could say with words. Thank you, and may God bless you all. Thank you, Ellen. Our next student address will be given by a Colby favorite, Peter Prudlow, who is off to the University of Dallas this fall. A brilliant young student who is following in his sister Monica's footsteps by giving a graduation address. Peter, welcome to the podium. Hello, this is Peter Prudlow. Can you hear me? All right, great. I think uh, Adobe is still haunting me there. Uh, before I begin, uh, I want to thank Dr. Almanzar for his great introduction. Uh, thank you, Father Rappaport, for your invocation. Thank you, Dr. Sanford, for being here with us today to give your commencement address. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Langell, for your continued leadership of this great school. Uh, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Rolls, Mrs. Powers, Mr. Bayarski, for getting all of this organized. Um, and of and uh, 
I would also like to thank the rest of the faculty here for their great work uh, teaching us and leading us through high school. You did it. Through blood, sweat, and tears, you have finally made it through these 18 years. And not just that, but you made it through these four years of high school. And you never gave up. Even when you were dealt a bad hand of cards, you persevered, and here you are now. What a fantastic accomplishment. But that's enough about the parents. Um, <laughs> we are now, as graduating seniors, entering what is possibly one of the most important stages of our lives. Uh, whether we're going to college to continue our academic studies, entering the workforce, or taking a gap year, we are all being let loose on the world, so to speak. And we must now take uh, the knowledge taught to us by our teachers and parents and make sure how to responsibly use that knowledge. Uh, oops, wrong page. Wisdom taught to us by our parents and teachers at Colby and apply it to our new experiences and encounters. On the topic of our education, Colby has taught us and prepared us for this next step in our lives better than could ever be hoped for. We have all learned the arts, humanities, sciences, languages, but I think what is even more important is how Colby has taught us to use this knowledge in service to God instead of to ourselves. To give an example, uh, in Canto 26 of Dante's Inferno, Dante meets Ulysses in the circle of fraudulence. Now, unlike Homer's uh, version of the story where Ulysses goes back to Ithaca, uh, Ulysses tells Dante that he did not actually end up returning. Instead, he let his ambition cloud his vision, and he wanted his ambition for knowledge. His ambition for knowledge uh, clouded his vision, and he incited his crew on to glory, uh, falling short just near the end. Um, Ulysses' fatal flaw was not so much his desire for knowledge, but rather his selfish intention for that knowledge and what he sacrificed for it. Knowledge is not a bunch of collector's items where you have to collect them all just for the sake of knowing it. Instead, it should be sought so that it should be shared with others, applied to one's own life, and most importantly, used in a way that gives glory to God. That is what Colby has taught us in tandem with the arts, sciences, humanities. Colby has given us a wealth of education and the responsibility to use it productively and virtuously. Uh, although, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure how to responsibly use my knowledge of memorizing the names of Mrs. Power's calculators. Um, <laughs> as for the community aspect of the school, uh, we have had the opportunity to participate in the wonderfully weird, fun, and sometimes glitchy community of Colby Academy. From the discussion boards with thousands of posts on them, uh, to the various clubs, official or unofficial, where we made friends and memories. Whether you've been here for eight years or one, Colby's effect on all of us is undeniable. And I don't think there is a community, online or otherwise, quite like Colby. And it is that unique experience that draws us all together and makes it such a unique school. It is a set of experiences and memories that we share and will likely hold for the rest of our lives. I, for one, fondly remember the 10 to 15 minute rants from one Jose Trujillo. And I would like to say sorry to anyone who has not heard one of them, because it's truly a popcorn-worthy event. <laughs> Another one I'm sure all Colby students can uh, relate to is that we have all procrastinated. I mean, come on. And as a result of that procrastination, we've probably submitted an assignment five minutes before the due date. You know, all that adrenaline. I mean, come on. All of you, you, you. I know you've done it, for sure. Don't, don't lie to me. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I think if you haven't done that, you're not eligible to graduate as a Colby student. <laughs> um, but I'm not critiquing either, because ultimately that is an experience fairly unique to Colby Academy, and that all of us as seniors can connect with. Even though Colby is an online school, the community is so friendly and sociable that it doesn't feel online. I think last night was actually the perfect example of this at the social. You would think that putting a bunch of uh, homeschooled uh, teenagers in a room would be a bad idea. Uh, but it worked out really well. Everyone was dancing and getting along, and boys were coming to ask girls to dance. And you, <laughs> and you wouldn't get that with any, any other online school, I, I don't think. Um, but 
remember those experiences and remember those memories because you will likely hold on to those for the rest of your lives and I, I think that's incredibly important. Um, some of the best years of my life I've spent at Colby and I've made so many friends here and so many memories and I will dearly miss all of you teachers and classmates alike. Uh, and I think we can all sleep a little easier at night knowing that Adobe Connects cannot hurt us anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Peter. And now we'll hear from our faculty speaker, Dr. Carl Hassler. Dr. Hassler received an, his MA and PhD in philosophy from the University of Missouri, Columbia and has taught philosophy at the college and university level for 30 plus years. Recently, he has taught 20 years at Collin College, a two-year institution in Texas. He taught courses in philosophy at the University of Texas at Dallas and for campuses in the Dallas County Community College District. Over the years, Dr. Hassler has tried to focus his teaching on the ideas of such Catholic luminaries as St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, as well as more contemporary Catholic thinkers such as G.K. Chesterton, Hilaire Belloc, Joseph Pieper, Father James Shaw, and Dr. Peter Kreeft. Dr. Hassler lives in Texas with his wife, two daughters, and his two grandsons. Dr. Hassler, welcome. I had about three hours worth of material for today, but Mrs. Langle told me I only had 10 minutes to speak, so I tried to cut it down a little bit. We'll see how it goes. This thing's in my face. <clears throat> I want to first thank Colby Academy, the administration, for honoring me with the privilege of speaking with you today on behalf of the faculty. I'm not sure they realize that they have not one but two philosophers speaking today, but it's too late now. <laughs> Welcome honored guests, family members, friends, my peers, and of course you, the Colby Academy graduating class of 2023. My most heartfelt congratulations to you all. Now, I thought for quite a while about how to begin this talk, not to mention what I could say. I wanted to avoid empty phrases and the usual platitudes one hears at such ceremonies. Over the many years I've been teaching, I've attended many a graduation ceremony. What is most remarkable about all those ceremonies I have attended is this. I cannot remember a single thing of importance that any of those speakers had to say. Nada, nothing, zilch. I'm sure they waxed eloquently. Still, the only thing that comes to mind that I remember was one particular speaker, the wife of President George W. Bush, Laura Bush, who came and spoke at one of the graduating ceremonies. It was a big deal. But what she said, I don't know, having a clue. So my concern has been what I can say that might be useful, helpful, at least modestly memorable, or even, dare I say, inspiring. So in thinking about what I was to say to you on this important day, I then recalled what St. Paul said when writing his letter to the Romans. He wrote, to all God's beloved in Rome, and I will insert all of you here today, who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to briefly speak to the idea that you, all of us here, are called to be saints. Now, I'm not thinking of those saints that may be remembered in the annals of church history or perhaps in a further edition of Butler's Lives of the Saints. But of course, I'm not denying that this might be a possibility. You'll never know. 
No, but that does not excuse us from the task of the call to be a saint. So what does this mean, to be called to be a saint? What did St. Paul mean by saying, we are called to be saints? What is this vocation? And what does all your education to this point have to do with this call? It's a good question. My most immediate answer is, I don't know. But let me try to think through this a bit for you and for me. Let's see. You've learned your letters and numbers when you were quite young. Then all of a sudden, those strings of confused alien ciphers shivered into meaning. Words spoke to you, gave up their secrets. At that moment, whole universes opened. You became irrevocably a reader. God gave you, God gave us all a mind to use, a mind to use especially when it comes to the questions of faith, morals, and ethical behavior, plus learning all about God's creation. How should we use this gift of a mind? Clearly, if the mind is to work well, we must exercise it. How? By thinking? And I'm reminded of a line from a song that thinking is the best way to travel. But should our thinking be by oneself alone? Like maybe invoking Descartes' project? Or by investigating the great minds that have come before us and who still reside in our midst. If we go with Descartes, I fear we will commit ourselves to the conceit of mediocrity because we end up relying only on ourselves. Shakespeare's line, to thine own self be true, comes to mind here as well. So I suggest that to avoid our own mediocrity of thought, we continue to engage in conversation with those great thinkers of the past. But why this? Why be so troubled about what those of the past had to say? They're dead, aren't they? And after all, we have the internet. All sorts of streaming, television, social media, everybody's doing this all the time. Why do we need these old folks? Again, a good question. One thing you may have learned at Colby Academy, I hope, if somewhat surreptitiously, is that we live by ideas. That is, ideas. Those ideas we hold to be principles, or the ideas that shape how we understand the world and everybody around us. These are ideas that have stood the test of time. And these ideas do not arise out of nothing or in a vacuum. They come to us from the repository of the past. Just as one does not ask the cashier at Walmart about the best remedy for a physical ailment one may be suffering, so too, one must not ask one's favorite pop star or actor how best to solve moral and ethical questions. As Socrates tells us, we must seek the one who knows. Well, which one is it? Here, I can only suggest it is not your popular musicians. I use that term loosely because <laughs> you know, popular music today, I'm not sure it counts. Nor is it your favorite movie, or TV stars, or athletes, or heaven forbid, less most politicians. <laughs> My suggestion here begins with the voices of the church, and to those voices the church often points to. Here is your best course of action. Oh, but did I mention this to you? you will have to be a reader. Now the beauty in all of this 
is that Colby Academy has given you a fine introduction and preparation for doing this. Colby Academy has given you the tools, taught you the skills, not just for getting a job. And of course, Colby Academy has done a better job than most to prepare you for a job, and this is because you've learned the art of thinking. But better than that, Colby Academy has given you the tools for living the good life. And the good life is the life of a good mind. Which means that Colby Academy has prepared you for a vocation. Now what is this, what has this to do with the call to be a saint? Chesterton says this, you knew I'd talk about Chesterton. Chesterton says, each generation is converted by the saint who contradicts it the most. And he also says this, the saint is a medicine because he is an antidote. Indeed, that is why the saint is often a martyr. He is mistaken for a poison because he is an antidote. Because of your education thus far, and as, excuse me, and as you continue it, you will be potentially one who contradicts your generation as well as you will be an antidote to your age. To be a saint can be that simple and in your own way. If you stay true to the ideas of the church and of its great thinkers, you will be on your way to being a saint because you will help to cure the irrationalism and the mediocrity of the age. So let me close this talk with the following. First, remember you are called to be a saint. Go to Mass often. Spend time in adoration. Enjoy the outdoors and get close to the earth. Support local businesses and your community. Read good books. Listen to good music. If you don't know what that is, ask me. <laughs> Enjoy your friends. Love your neighbors as best you can. Your enemies, too. Stay true to your family. Find your vocation, not a job, a vocation. And when you become successful, Remember Colby Academy. Finally, remember those who helped and guided you to wherever you land because that was their vocation. Congratulations and blessings to you all. Thank you, Dr. Hassler. I'd now like to introduce uh, our commencement address by Dr. Jonathan Sanford. Dr. Sanford graduated summa cum laude from Xavier University in classical languages and philosophy in 1997. He received his doctorate from the University of Buffalo, State University of New York in 2001, and received a postdoctoral fellowship from Fordham University from 2001 to 2002. Dr. Sanford served at Franciscan University of Steubenville for 13 years before joining the University of Dallas in 2015. In his administrative work at Franciscan University, he held the positions of Associate Vice President for Academic Affairs and Chair of Philosophy, and also served in the role of the Principal Elected Faculty Representative. Dr. Sanford has published widely on philosophical figures and topics and has made significant contributions, especially in foundational questions in moral philosophy, as evidenced in Before Virtue, Assessing Contemporary Virtue Ethics, and The, philosophy, the Philosophical Legacy of Jorge Garcia. Sanford is currently writing a book on virtue and education. Dr. Sanford is a trustee of the Hildebrand Project, a member of the Executive Committee and the Executive Council of the American Catholic Philosophical Association, a member of the Dallas Board of Legatus, a fellow of the Dallas Institute for Humanities and Culture, and a board member of the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars. And, in his active, and he is active in several other pro professional and academic organizations.
His wife, Rebecca, is a registered nurse and founding board member of Mighty Is Her Call, a Catholic mother's ministry recognized by the Diocese of Dallas. The Sanfords, parishioners at St. Rita Catholic Church in Dallas, have nine children and two granddaughters, and they live with their younger children in Irving, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Sanford. Thank you for that introduction. My greetings to each of you, um, and I want to recognize especially Executive Director Mrs. Mary Rawls, Chief Academic Officer Mrs. Megan Lingell, the esteemed faculty and administration of Colby Academy, parents, grandparents, and other family members and friends, and especially you, the 2023 <laughs> graduates. Good morning. This is indeed a blessed day Commencements are liminal events. You are celebrating the completion of one set of activities, your formation through Colby Academy, and marking the beginning of something new. It is a good time to ask two questions. Where have you been and where are you going? Colby Academy is explicitly dedicated to a formation in wisdom, truth, and virtue. What do these terms mean? What have you learned? How have you been formed? As a threshold moment, your commencement provides an excellent opportunity to look back in order to move forward. For it is only with what you have received, the habits of mind and heart which now shape you, that you are able to venture forth. So what exactly have you received? Taking up that question broadly, I hope you recognize that everything you have is a gift. Your life, your parents, your siblings, your friends, your teachers, coaches, your faith, even your struggles, your pains, your toils, your hardships are gifts. Often our most important lessons come through failure and hardship, if that is we have an eager spirit ready to learn. What do you do when someone gives you a gift? You thank him, of course. And the greatest giver of gifts is God himself, the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful and the redeemer of all our failures and sufferings. My first lesson is to encourage you to give thanks in all things, to cultivate the habit of a grateful spirit. This is what St. Paul exhorts us to do in 1 Thessalonians. In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus for all of you. I guarantee that in heeding this command, you won't just be expressing your fidelity to the word of God, you'll be far happier, and your life will be more readily felt as a gift to others. As part of this exercise of looking back to see ahead, let's reflect together on the nature of education, albeit briefly, focusing on the true, good, and beautiful, in order to review what you are taking with you and to direct you to where you are going. Colby Academy provides a Catholic, and classical education, one that cultivates the intellectual, moral, and theological virtues. A Catholic and classical education is, in its fullest sense, a liberating education, freeing its recipients from ignorance and the strife of one's passions, and freeing them for a life well lived. This is an education that takes a lifetime to grow into. Return to what you have learned and build new avenues for learning. God made us to be knowers and lovers of him, and all truths we grasp are encounters with what God vouchsafes for our knowing. God made us intellectual beings, and he intends for us to put the gifts of our nature to their best uses. This is a central principle of the Catholic intellectual tradition. Like many of those central principles, it draws some of its depth from the classical, pre-Christian, Western tradition, a tradition in which Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle figure prominently, as do Greek dramatists like Aeschylus and Sophocles and others. At the heart of one of his most important works, Plato admonishes us to think rightly about what it is to learn. He writes in the seventh book of the Republic that, quote, education isn't what people declare it to be. It isn't what people declare it to be namely putting knowledge into souls that lack it, like putting sight into blind eyes. The power to learn is present in everyone's soul. 
And that instrument with which each learns is like an eye that cannot be turned around from darkness to light without turning the whole body." End quote. Though when memorizing things like the periodic table or Latin's second declension, you may well have felt like you were shoving facts into your soul. These distinct acts of memorization were in fact accidental to the essential matter of coming to see things themselves. What your teachers have cultivated in you is what medieval thinkers like St. Thomas Aquinas called docilitas, the virtue of docility. Docility is derived from the Latin docere, which means to teach. And its nobility is captured well in some recognizable cognates, such as when we bestow the title of doctor on one who has achieved a great mastery of learning in a particular discipline. Every, every virtue we learn from both Aristotle and Aquinas makes its possessor good and enables him to perform his proper work well. Docility is that virtue which actualizes the potential learner in each of us, and it does so by disposing us to receive from those persons works of art, symbolic utterances, literary artifacts, and indeed nature herself, the treasures they contain. Far from enslaving us to these teachers, docility enables us to realize that we can become free only by subjecting ourselves to those truths. What that means for a learner is that we absorb, we absorb or assimilate or become measured by or otherwise come to be one with the objects of apprehension. Knowing, as both Aristotle and Aquinas observed, is a matter of becoming one with what one studies. That is, we become what we know according to our own mode of understanding. There is no learning without the virtue of a standing readiness to learn from others, for humans do not gaze on the world with God's all-seeing eyes. We see for ourselves only what we encounter, but we have the benefit of being able to turn to others who have made sense of what they have encountered and submit their insights to us. This is where the notion of a tradition, as in the Western intellectual tradition or the Catholic intellectual tradition, has special relevance for holding forth for the learner those books, experiments, works of art, and other artifacts that are of central importance to his study. It is also the tradition that can provide some guidance to determining who, in fact, can be trusted as the contemporary conveyors of the tradition's treasures. Learning from the wise and learning from the things the wise point us to requires as well an educational culture conducive to study. Docility, the capacity of being taught, implies not just the sheer capacity to learn, but it implies as well the desire. And in cultivating such a desire to learn, one needs an environment in which one finds others who are similarly desirous. Such a culture and the many acts of learning that take place within it are best understood within the context of friendship. Exercising the virtue of docility requires friendship, and education itself is a kind of friendship for the sake of friendship. First, speaking somewhat analogically, a Catholic and classical education is a friendship with the truth of things. Second, now literally a Catholic and classical education fosters, fosters friendship between teachers and students. Third, a Catholic and classical education fosters friendships between students and between teachers. And fourth, and most significantly, a Catholic and classical education is ultimately about deepening a friendship with God. I know you have benefited tremendously from these friendships throughout your time at Colby, and I encourage you to continue to cultivate them as you go forth from this academy. I also encourage you to seek and nurture the right sort of new friends, for it makes a tremendous difference with whom you spend your time and what sort of culture you contribute to. Find friends who share with you a desire to learn, who challenge you to be more excellent, who encourage you to grow into your knowledge and love of God. This vision for education 
stands in stark contrast with that predominantly held in high schools and colleges. We live in what is often called the digital age. One of the implications of this is that we can come to think that knowledge is digitizable, seamlessly transferable into any variety of so-called smart devices, and therefore cheap. Just as Rene Descartes makes the mistake of approaching metaphysics with the methodology of the mathematician, and so reduces the material world to the merely extended, flexible, and mutable, it has become common to think anything that can be scanned, and in fact, everything physical can be scanned, is nothing more than its digital expression. But things are not their representations, and some representations are more and others less revealing of things. Knowledge is not information. Knowledge is always, as I've already said, a matter of personal encounter between a knower and a thing. It is things that measure us, revealing to us, if we listen attentively to them, their being. It is their relationship between your mind, and it is the relationship between your mind and beings that yields what we call truth. Your teachers have been craftsmen of the art of directing your intellects towards those beings most worthy of your attention. More than only striving to instill in you those habits of mind we call the intellectual virtues, like Plato, your teachers know that the whole of your being must be oriented rightly. And that is a matter of fostering in you those perfections of character we call the moral virtues. It is at this juncture that the quest for discovering the truth of things and the quest for achieving the good ought to be seen to go hand in hand. Integrated formation entails full human formation. I congratulate you on your accomplishments. It's right and proper to celebrate the not insignificant accomplishment of graduating from Colby Academy. I congratulate you as well for a gift you did not earn, having parents, with the wisdom to entrust your education to this academy, and who have been willing to make what I am sure for many of them is a significant sacrifice to pay for it. I also want to congratulate you for having friends who encouraged you when you felt like there was no way you could pull together that essay on time, and who cheered for you, even in your less graceful moments in your extracurricular activities. I want to congratulate you for having a God who loves you so much that he created you with sufficient gifts to graduate from high school, and infinitely more blessed than that, who through his death and resurrection has called you into friendship with himself. You should see a similar pattern here. What you have, you have received. As I've said already, all that you have is a gift. That should humble you. Being humbled, however, is anything but crippling. Humility is not mere modesty, nor does it make you hold back from great ventures. St. Thomas Aquinas captures just the right entry point to making sense of the virtue of humility when he recognizes it to be the sister of magnanimity. Magnanimity, or megalopsukon, literally means great souled. This virtue is a matter of striving with the very seat of your deepest desire for great and glorious things. This is what constitutes the essence of magnanimity. How is humility compatible with striving after great and glorious things? The essence of humility is acknowledging your gifts precisely as gifts. And you can only do that by giving credit to the giver of all gifts. Therefore, with humility, one glorifies God as the gift giver. And just as in the parable of the talents, God is pleased when we use our gifts. He is most pleased when we use our gifts especially well. Therefore, with magnanimity, one strives to do great and glorious things that build up the kingdom, thereby pleasing the king through putting to use those talents he bestowed upon you. So practice genuine magnanimity so that you might thereby be truly humble. The greatest challenge that lies before you is existential. Will you be the person, the man, the woman God has called you to be? 
We can become our own obstacles to heeding that call by imagining ourselves to be independent agents, wholly responsible for our successes, more or less self-made and free to do as we want. The truth, rather, is that free choice of the will is but an intermediate good. And to mistake it for full freedom is to fail to realize that whenever we willfully sever ourselves from the truth, we only make ourselves slaves. It is St. Augustine who points this out most vividly in the second book of On Free Choice of the Will. We must serve the truth if we are to be free, for only the truth makes one free. One of the choicest fruits of a genuinely liberating education is that you're able to think for yourself, that you have become an independent thinker, as we call it at the University of Dallas. But it is not the case that you are free to make of your life whatever you will and thereby flourish. That is simply not the case for the simple reason that each one of us is already and irremediably enmeshed in a whole network of obligations which we have not voluntarily undertaken. Like it or not, each one of us does owe honor to our parents, gratitude to our teachers, help to our siblings, comfort to our friends, and religion to God. You don't have a choice in those matters. You can, of course, make choices that pretend as though you don't have those obligations, but that does not make them any less binding upon you. To explain a little of what I mean by that, consider that your mothers carried you to term and nursed you. Your fathers fed you with spoons. Both your parents changed your diapers and held your hand as you learned to walk. They and the many others they invited into your life as helpmates in raising you, like your teachers at Colby Academy, have indeed brought you to a point where you can more or less take care of yourself. But the mark of real maturity is acknowledging that you are in fundamental relation with others and exer exercising virtues that promote their flourishing. Even during those most independent seeming periods of our lives, college can seem that way, we are still at every moment dependent on others for any variety of things, from the food you procure, from the grocery or the cafeteria, to the streets or walkways you utilize, to the books you read. Moreover, no great reflection is required to see you will, if you are fortunate enough to live to old age, once again, be in need of someone to spoon feed you, to turn you over in bed in order to avoid bed sores and to change your diapers. All this focus on basic needs is not meant to shock, but rather to remind you that you are each an animal, a wondrous, unique, and bound for heaven animal to be sure, but an animal nonetheless. Your body is not something you use for a bit before your true self departs to be with God. Rather, as the Catholic Church, especially guided through the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas teaches, you are your body. And a separated soul is just that, a soul that we're told is so incomplete that it groans in anticipation of its resurrected body. It is this insight about our biological nature that puts the lie to the idea that you can, for instance, change your gender like you change your clothes. We are the beings we are. We are rational animals. But being rational means that we speak, and the things we speak about primarily have to do with the ways in which we live our lives together. And no one learns to speak unless taught to do so by others. So we're not just rational animals. We are what the contemporary philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, calls dependent rational animals. It is simply a fact that no living being can flourish except by being fully the sort of being it is. If you are to flourish, if you are to be truly successful, then you can only do so by acknowledging your dependency on others and caring for those who are dependent upon you. We human beings need, in other words, if we are to be happy, 
to practice especially and above all those social virtues of acknowledged dependency. And foremost among them is the virtue of misericordiae, of compassion, by which we not only suffer with those who suffer, but are compelled to relieve their suffering. This sort of compassion is not pity, but rather an ingredient of genuine love, of charity, and it motivates spiritual and corporal works of mercy. In taking you through these philosophical reflections, which you might be relieved to know will come to an end soon, do not fear that I have forgotten the purpose of this address. Quite the contrary. Our goal has been to reflect on where you have been in order to point you to where you are going. I have assumed that you want to live happy and flourishing lives, both on earth and in heaven. I've been focusing on real happiness, not the cheap and fleeting stuff advertisers wave before our noses. You cannot achieve real flourishing, genuine happiness, without exercising the virtues. And that takes planning, focus, practice, prayer, the whole of your energy, and continuous nurturing of the graces that only God can bestow upon you. I have submitted for your consideration five virtues. Were you keeping score? Five virtues that I think are especially important for the next phases of your life. Gratitude, docility, humility, magnanimity, and compassion. Each one of these virtues rightly understood is a particular perfection of the radically communal beings we are. I challenge you to foster more deeply each of these five virtues, building first and foremost on the fundamental disposition of gratitude, of giving thanks in all things. Your parents are rightly proud of you, as are your teachers. A significant milestone has been reached. But do not think of graduating from Colby Academy as merely a hoop you have jumped through so that now you can get on with your life. Your life is one in which you must continue to build on what you have learned. Love the truth, promote charity, be genuinely humble so that you can strive to do great things for the greater glory of God. Be magnanimous so that you inspire excellence in others and thus build up the kingdom that God is establishing. And in all things, whether good, bad, or ugly, give thanks for the tremendous gift of your life, your talents, your family, your friends, and the adventure that lies before you. Thanks. Samford. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.